All right. Well, hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year. If you're new at the Parks Church, we're so glad that you are here with us. Uh, Typically, what we do is uh, preach through books of the Bible, and we are walking our way through the book of Acts. However, uh, our rhythm every January is to pause uh, whatever book we're teaching in and to spend uh, the month of January uh, looking at uh, something that, that that is so near and dear to to our heart as a church, and it should be to every heart, uh, every church, but it's this idea of discipleship. And so if you have your Bible, go to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Yeah, discipleship from Habakkuk. Habakkuk, Old Testament. Um, you can use the front, no pride, right? Like, no shame in going to the front, looking up the exact number, page number. It's right after Nahum, right? Because you know where that one is. We're going to be in Habakkuk 2 uh, this morning. While you're turning there, want to just encourage anybody who's, uh, who's maybe new to the parks, you've been here a while, maybe wanting to get on the road to Covenant Partnership, we're going to start our Engage classes next Sunday. And so be, in, be looking in your email to, to find those and, and, and sign up for that as well. Habakkuk 2. So last January, I want to read, uh, I went back to the, the message I preached starting the year of 2020, right? January 2020. And I want to read the end of that sermon to start, okay? It says this. I'm quoting myself, which is kind of weird. but So as we go into 2020, we are not all knowing. We're not all loving. We're not all seeing. Only God is. We don't know what this year holds. So we must posture ourselves before him. So that we can know what he's saying and what he's doing. We must be his disciples, led by his spirit in all things, in our whole life. We want to become whole life disciples. What does it mean and look like to follow Jesus in 2020? Know this, that it starts in a posture of humility. Seeking Jesus. Seeking first his kingdom, and then everything else will be added. Pretty fitting. As we start 2021, the same sentiment is true. We don't know what this year holds. We have no idea what the months or weeks will hold for our lives, for our community, for our church, for our country. But there is one constant. There is one truth to which, one certainty to which we can stand on. That God is absolutely sovereign. God is absolutely in control of everything. You see, that's why I wanted to draw us to the book of Habakkuk. This Old Testament book where the people of God are in exile. Some of the the darkest moments of their life, some of the most confusing places and spaces they have probably been. And they're wondering, they're asking God, like, is this, is this how it's going to be? Like, is, is, is this the norm? They're questioning God's use of, of, of pagan nations like Assyrian and, and Babylon to bring judgment upon them. And the prophet Habakkuk in one verse answers their question. He says, you want to know what the future is? 
You want to know the certainty that you can stand? You want to know the hope of what lies ahead, whether it's 2020 or 2021 or, 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 or 15 BC, whatever it is? You want to know the hope of what lies ahead? You want to be sure? Even, even as we sang the song New Jerusalem, there's just something in us that like longs for that, right? That longs for, for something ahead. And Habakkuk goes, you want to know what it is? Here's what it is. Habakkuk 2, verse 14. One verse. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's what lies ahead. Right? That the future that all world history is pointing to culminates in this reality. That the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, let me tell you, I stand at a verse like this, like standing at something like, and infinitely more than standing at something like the Grand Canyon and explaining, hey, how wide is the Grand Canyon? Or the base of Everest to go describe to me just how massive and how tall it is. Like this verse is describing the ultimate, the ultimate reality of where everything is pointed. Habakkuk goes, you want to anchor your hope in something? You want to see where everything's pointed? It's pointed right here. That God's glory will fill absolutely every square inch of everything. And listen, as believers, that's our hope. You see, this morning, what I'm doing is I'm starting with the end. I'm starting with the thing that we can stand on as bedrock truth. That one day, one glorious day, there is going to be every fiber, every facet of this planet is going to resonate and ring with the glory of God. His limitless power, His infinite beauty, His radiance will cover it all in pain and sin and sickness and viruses and pandemics and cancer and all that junk that we feel so intimately, even in our personal lives and in our corporate lives, will be gone. How beautiful is that? Like how, how much does that make your heart leap? But like Sam even said, there's a tension. There's a tension here. We're in the in-between, right? We see flashes of that. We see these little moments, these little sparks in our own life, but yet we look out and we survey the rest of the land and we go, man, I see something other than that. You say, Kyle, what does this have to do with discipleship? What does this have to do with being a whole life disciple? And my answer to you is everything. You see, so often in a discussion around discipleship, People want to jump to the what and the how without understanding the why, without understanding the ultimate goal of your life and my life as a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, our ultimate goal is informed by what Habakkuk just said, that every square inch of the world is going to be covered with the knowledge of the glory of God, like this, the waters cover the sea and your life and my life should be no different. So the goal, listen to me, the goal of discipleship 
Hear me, write this down, because discipleship is a word that's going to get thrown around a lot. We talk about it a lot here. Here's the goal of discipleship. To see and know the beauty of that God. To see and know the beauty of the triune God that we worship. That's the goal of discipleship. You see, the prophet Habakkuk is pointing us toward a future day when God's infinite glory will cover everything. But you see, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is not just the goal of discipleship. It is also the fuel for discipleship. And so here at the Parks Church, uh, go back to that main slide if, if you can, Keith. We use this phrase, whole life disciples being transformed by the way of Jesus. Like that's, that's a phrase that we use a lot around here. And honestly, it's, 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 it's more than just a, it's not a vision statement. It is something that we throw things against, if you will. We test things, right, in, in, in all of our different ministries and places and spheres. Are we really accomplishing the work that which God has called us to be about? Seeing lives transformed by the way of Jesus, thus making us whole life disciples. And we felt like there needed to be a qualifier on disciple, right? Like, is there a non-whole life disciple? The answer to that, by the way, is no. But we felt like there needed to be clarity around that. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to give us the why behind whole life discipleship. I want to give us maybe a better picture of the goal in whole life discipleship before we ever dare get into the how and the what of whole life discipleship. You see, our greatest desire in ministry, our greatest desire in this church, hear me, is the presence of God. What Habakkuk 2 just talked about, that it's his presence, it's the knowledge, it's his glory that is going to be over everything. You see, our goal and our aim is to ask God to bring us into his inexhaustible presence, into his bottomless beauty, into his infinite glory, that the fellowship with the triune God is where we are longing to go and seeking to go in everything. See, Abraham Kuyper, who we've quoted a lot around here, says that there's not one square inch of the world that God doesn't look over and go, mine. Every square inch of it is his. And he's redeeming it back to himself. And God's desire, and God will accomplish all that he desires, is that the knowledge of his glory will cover every square inch of his creation. And so hear me. Whole life disciples, those who are following Jesus with everything they are, say this. If you're bringing your presence, Lord, to this world, start with me. Start with me now. If his presence and his glory is going to cover every fiber and every facet, then we want that to be true of our individual lives as well. Yes? You see, whole life discipleship is more about reveling in the transcendence of God than it is about practices. You see, thus, at the heart of everything we do is to desire to grow in our love and knowledge of who God truly is. And listen, I, this, is such, this is such an infinite topic, right? I mean, I, I, seriously, I look at Habakkuk 2, and even I've done it this week, how, how can I put human words to something that is so unfathomable, Right? The knowledge of God, the glory of God, these massive things that are just thrown around the church and we're like, oh yes, praise God. But yeah, do we really grasp the depth of them? How infinite they are. 
How like a diamond you can turn it and turn it and turn it, and it has no end to its beauty. That's what we're trying to describe. That's what we're trying to sing about. That's what we're trying to display, even in our lives. An infinite God and His beauty. The discipleship is the process of us seeing and knowing that kind of God. You see, this is Jesus, the great um, commandment, right? Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, 37. Where his disciples come to him and go, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment of all? What does he say? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. What is the repeated word in that? Did you pick that? All. All. Whole life. With everything. The sum total. Every facet. Every fiber. Work. Home. School. It doesn't matter. All of it. You are to love the Lord God. Your marriage. Your parenting. All of it is under the submission of that God. That the aim in all of it, the aim in your marriage, the aim in your parenting, the aim in your work, the aim in your church, the aim in everything is what? For you to see and to know the beauty and the glory of God. Everything. That's the goal. That's the goal. You see, discipleship then is about a redirection of our desires and loves to the one who is described in Habakkuk 2. The one who is inexhaustible. The one whose glory will go to the ends of the earth one day. All right. That's pretty. I like that language. That's what the Bible says. But is it true? Disciple. Is that true of your life? That your zeal, your loves, your desires all center and terminate on him. That your whole life is oriented around him. True or false? You see, listen, I love the Lord. I love him with every facet and every fiber. I I love him more than anything else. But here's the deal. I also have other competing loves. And if you're honest, you do too. Right? I was sharing with the guys we were praying with the elders before, and I'm like, it's like I, I have like 65 things that I'm zealous about, right? And oh, the Lord is one of them. But 165th is not what God asks of me. That's not what Matthew 22 says. What does he say? With all, with all, with all, everything and every bit of who you are is to love him. And so discipleship in this goal to see and know the beauty of our God, the direction in which we are longing to be discipled is God to change our desires and our loves toward him. Discipleship at its most basic sense is really just a reorientation of our lives. Correct? It's a really reorientation of our loves and our desires. And so and one of our guys make this for you visual learners, because maybe this will help, right? What's at the center The Trinity, God the Son, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. That is the one in which we orient our whole lives. That is the God who informs every facet, every fiber of who we are. Because it's His glory that's going to go to the ends of the earth. So we orchestrate all of our lives around Him. John 17, 3. Jesus, in praying for His disciples to have eternal life, says this. And this is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. What did he just say? 
What's eternal life? Eternal life is that they know you and know your son. What is the ultimate goal of discipleship? What is the ultimate end to which we strive and endeavor in this life to reorient our life so that we might know God and know Christ? That we might know his beauty and his power on display in our lives. You see, the vision that Habakkuk gives us and them is that all of creation is moving toward that awareness. The awareness of God in all things. You see, here is one of our fears, I know, because we've wrestled with it as elders. One of our fears is that if we simply give you better ministry, better sermons, better songs, which are are fine, yet fail to give you and thus us a radically God-centered vision for your life, we have failed miserably. If we're not constantly in all things pointing to that center, we have failed. We have failed you and we have failed the mission God has given us. So hear me, whole life discipleship is not a program. It's not a catchy vision statement by a church. I actually really despise those things. Right? That, that, that overpromise and undersell every time. You know what I'm talking about? And listen, we've been guilty of that. Don't think I'm standing up here superior to anyone else. Instead, this is a call. The call from the scriptures about a total reorientation of our reality. Of our loves. Of our desires. This is not meant just to rearrange the furniture at our church, right? Well, maybe if we put the couch in the bedroom, right? Maybe if we move this over here or do that, what, is it, what does that do? What well, maybe pacifies for a little bit. It maybe gives a pseudo level of inspiration, but there is no, what we use in the statement, no transformation because what we're doing is we're following the ways of men and women and not the way of Jesus. Jesus, by his spirit, is the one that leads to transformation. This is a way of us to think differently and operate differently and live differently as true whole life disciples. You see, the opportunity in front of us in 2021 is the same opportunity that was in front of us in 2020 and every year prior, right? God-centered to reorient ourselves and our lives and our church to a God-centered vision of all things. And so in the next four weeks, we're going to walk through four areas that comprise a large, not necessarily our whole lives, but we're going to walk through the church. We're going to walk through our home and our family. We're going to walk through work or school if you're in school. We're going to walk through culture. How does the reality of Habakkuk, how does the future in mind, this God whose, whose glory will cover the earth, how does that influence that? Like we can't measure discipleship. And I think 2020 kind of uncovered this for us. We can't measure discipleship by how many people are in praxis groups or how many people attend Sunday morning gatherings, right? Our last Sunday morning gathering in March of 2020, the one before we paused it, had 850 people in here. It was like ants in a hill, right? Just poke it and then we went everywhere, right? Like that's not a metric we measure discipleship with. Or how many people we have in classes or how many Bible studies we have or have completed. 
true discipleship can only be measured by a disciple's ability to connect all of their lives to the triune God. That that is the lens that we see everything through. That his heart is the one that we make decisions upon. That's a disciple. That's how we measure discipleship. Reorienting our lives to God. And listen, when we begin to do that, hear me. And listen, here's the beautiful thing. This is, it's happening in our church. It's happening in some of y'all's lives. Because you're thinking about following Jesus differently. You're thinking about discipleship, pulling it out of all the different, and un- untangling it from all the different definitions you've heard and all the places and spaces you've been. And you're seeing actually discipleship for what it is. You're seeing that it begins by God actually being the one who initiates it. Right? You don't initiate discipleship. You know that, correct? Jesus with his disciples, they weren't like searching for him, right? They weren't going, okay, where, where is he? Where's this? No, he comes to them and what does he say? The invitation. Come follow me. Discipleship begins with the invitation not made by you, but the one made by God himself. An invitation many of you have responded to, but what is that, what is that invitation a call to? It's a call that Jesus goes on to say that it's, 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 it's a way of finding that the source is him. Follow my ways, follow my lead, follow my life. Look at how I do things. Live like I've lived. And in turn, you'll have a perfect, rosy, peachy life. No needs. No, what, what, no. You won't feel any brokenness, Jesus says. You won't feel any pain. No, he says, what you'll find is you'll find me. And that journey, the end, is God himself. The journey of discipleship is that we would come to the end and realize it's not about us, it's about him. And we discover he is all we need. He is who the one we want to walk with us and will walk with us through the pain, through the brokenness, through the pandemic. But there's challenges to this, right? There's challenges to this in our own lives. And uh, a lot actually has been, it's, it's interesting this year, written around this. And, and I think we're indebted to a lot of uh, really smart thinkers and, and books, Willard, um, other discipleship things. Um, and almost all of them point out two main snags in this. And so I want to just unpack those challenges um, if we're going to think clearly about whole life discipleship. And the first one is this, um, is what I call spiritual self-improvement. Is where we view discipleship or this, this, this way of, of knowing God and seeing his beauty in our lives um, as a means to improve ourself. So go back to, the, to that slide. Um, this is ideal, right? Like this is Matthew 22. This is, this is what the Lord asks of us, that our whole sum total would be oriented around him. But what typically is our lives oriented around? Who, who's at the center? Self, right? Right? Self and, and, uh, and ultimate authority is me. It's focused not on God, but on self. And the reality is we have replaced the transcendence. And so think of God with the transcendence of self. And so think of your life with you at the center. Who's making the calls? Who's, who's, who's influencing and, and shaping and, and doing those things? And yeah, maybe there's a little bit of uh, a Bible verse attached to it. 
But you see, as, as easy as it would be to identify that in culture right now, this isn't something that's new, right? The transcendence of self, the glorification of the me, I, that goes back a long ways. If you have a Bible, you probably know Genesis chapter 3. It comes back to the transcendence of self where I believe I know better. I believe I know best. I believe I know how to navigate my life. I believe I know the way of salvation. And the way of salvation is through truly knowing myself. You see, even even now, listen, we're told everywhere that truly finding ourselves, right? Truly getting to the core of who you are. When you discover that, that's the antidote to stress. That's the antidote to to anxiety and, and, and confusion. But what does the Bible say about that? The Bible actually says that the only solution to that is not the knowledge of you. It's about the knowledge of God. You see, Genesis 3, the fall tells us the narrative that we are all trying to grasp for an identity apart from God. All of us. Trying to find our identity apart from God. That is human nature. Okay, Matthew 16. Matthew 16. See if you don't resonate with this. So Jesus has just asked his disciples. He says, who do people say that I am? Right? And his disciples answer him. They say, some some say you're Elijah. Some say you're, 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 you know, you're this, you're that. And then what does he ask them specifically? Right? Look at it. Verse 15 of chapter 16. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Right? And Simon Peter, right? The chief disciple replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And we're all like, yeah, Pete finally gets one right. You know, like, yes, you got it right. You answered it. You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God, which they should be cheering because Peter is right. Okay, but what, okay, after Peter just identifies Jesus correctly and rightly, he just, okay, let's say it like this. Peter just received Christ as his Lord and Savior, right? He just professed Christ. I'm going to say this, but let's just go down that road. And then Jesus, verse 21, he begins to tell them about his death. He's going, okay, so you just identified me rightly. You just profess me as Savior and Lord, to which you're correct. And Peter, I'm going to build the church on you. You're rock. Petros, right? And Jesus says, but here's the way of salvation. Here's the way that this Messiahship is going to play out. I'm going to go die on a tree. I'm going to be murdered innocently. And then I'm going to raise victoriously. And in the insane scene, what does Peter do? That same Peter, he goes, Jesus, hey, I know you just said that, but come over here to the side room. Like, we got to talk about this. What does it say? It says that he rebukes Jesus. Peter rebukes the king of kings. And he says, no, that is not what's going to happen to you. No way. And what happens to Peter? Look at this. Verse 23, and Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God. Here it is, but on the things of man. What does he correct Peter in? He goes, you're setting your your mind on yourself. 
You're setting your mind on the things of man and not the things of God. That my ways, he's saying, are infinitely greater and better than your ways. Yet you still find yourself, Peter, even after, even after acknowledging that I'm Savior and Lord, still setting your mind on you. You don't want me to die on the cross. You don't want me to go that way because you have a preconceived idea of how things work out. I'm so guilty of that. Jesus, you are my Savior. You're my Lord. But I don't want to go that way. You know what Jesus does immediately following the rebuke of Peter? We're in the same section, guys. We're in the same like sequence of conversation with the people. He goes, you want to know what it looks like to follow me? I just rebuked Peter, so I need to tell you what it actually looks like to follow me. Look at this. And then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, if anybody wants to be a disciple, what does he have to do? He has to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Wait, that's not the way I want to go. That's not how I want it to look. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So what is discipleship about? How do we see and know the glory of God like Habakkuk lays out for us? We, it's not about us. We understand that actually discipleship is about denying ourselves and taking up what Jesus has called us to take up, which is what? Our cross. Daily dying to ourselves and submitting and surrendering to his way and his plan. You see, we constantly, I don't think many of you, maybe some of you are wrestling with whether or not Jesus is Savior or if he's Lord. But what many of you are wrestling with is the application and implication of that profession. What does that mean? What does that look like? He just tells you. It doesn't look like self-improvement. It looks like self-denial. It looks like you putting aside your flesh and taking up the things that Christ has called you to take up. Talk about a reorientation. Talk about a confrontation with Peter who goes, no, surely the way of your kingship, Jesus, is not the cross. And he goes, yeah. And it's the same thing for every one of my followers. One author puts it like this. He says, all of our self-actualized visions of discipleship and our own little kingdoms need to crumble and be crucified if the kingdom of God is going to reign in our lives. True self-knowledge comes not through being true to yourself, but through denying yourself. You see, it is the pursuit of God that transforms ourselves, our whole lives, Matthew 16 shows us that the person of Christ cannot be separated from the work of Christ. Matthew 16 shows us that our identity in Christ is not separated from our call to follow him. Disciples, whole life disciples, are learning how to slowly take their eyes off of themselves and be more transfixed upon Christ. But how often do we find ourselves transfixed on so many other things? things, right? Some of you, you know more intimately your Enneagram numbers and what they mean and three left wing five to whatever that is. Then you know the promises of scripture and the attributes of God. Some of you have more of an inexhaustible knowledge about sports 
in politics, in entertainment, yet fail to understand the basics of the faith that you proclaim. It is impossible for us to reorient or orient our lives at all around a God we don't know and aren't pursuing. His presence is it. His presence is where we find Him. And so listen, we untangle from all of this by submitting ourselves to the one who has saved us, to the one who is calling us and redeeming us, where we see that we are simultaneously image bearers and broken sinners, redeemed by Christ, that our attention is not meant to turn to ourselves or to this church, but to God and our desperate need for him. Hear me, Christianity is not a self-improvement religion. Discipleship is not a self-improvement program. Whole life discipleship is not about, it's not about you. It's about God and His glory, making it known in our church, in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, in our schools, everywhere in our culture, and that we might be a people who humbly posture ourselves before that kind of God. I've got seven minutes left. And one last point. I don't think that it's just self. I think the other challenge to this is one that we can take a little bit of blame of. And I mean we as as the church. And it's this idea of a spiritual apathy. A spiritual apathy meaning that we've settled for a cultural Christianity Versus a biblical Christianity. We've settled for just simply making converts and not disciples. For simply being okay, just professing that Jesus is Savior, my Savior. He was redeemed me. He saved me. I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. And not truly yielding and understanding the power and the weight of what Jesus has called us to. And not just power and weight, but hear me, the beauty. The life-giving beauty of what he has called us to. Listen, an anemic, weak, powerless Christianity will not sustain or make disciples. It won't. And I'm convinced that's why people are leaving the church in droves. Not because the bar has been set too high, but because the bar has actually been set too low. And that leads to an apathy. That leads to just a mediocrity. And then what happens? The waves of life crash. 2020 slaps us in the face and mocks us. And the things are vetted and tested and pushed against. What is the only thing that stands? It's not my self-effort. It's not my power. It's not my intellect. It's not my wealth. It's not my health. The only thing that stands is the presence and beauty of God. That's it. Kyle, how do you know that? Habakkuk 2. What is the only thing that stands in the end? His presence and the glory and the knowledge of his glory that covers everything. Listen, my prayer for us is not that we would be searching for anything more than Jesus. I think far too often, hear me, we, yes, we share Christ with people 
we, we, we bring Christ. We say, Christ will help your marriage. Christ will help your parenting. Christ will help you in this. He'll, he'll help you do this. And then there's more. There's nothing more than him. There's just more of him. Right, church? Like every sermon, here's what I want you to walk away with. Seeing more of Jesus, not more than Jesus. Every song that we sing, every practice group you're in, every Bible study, men's, women's, every student ministry group, every littles, bigs. And here's what we want you to see. More of Jesus. More of Jesus. More of this God who is inexhaustible. Whose resources you can't fathom. Who you can come before and petition and call out to. That's what we want more than anything. We want you to see Jesus and Jesus and Jesus more and more and more. Where you actually begin to believe it and you begin to follow him. And say, I'm laying aside everything. My whole life is surrendered to him because that's where life is actually found. I count it all as loss to know him. I'll risk everything. Why is there an apathy around the most exciting adventure we could ever be beckoned to? Right? That has the end set for us. Like how we are so short-sighted. We're thinking about this thing. Like, how do we get through this year? You know what discipleship does? Is it lifts your eyes. Not to think about a year. Not to think about five years, ten years. It's going, how about 50 billion years? Think about that. And live your life in light of that hope. And my life is just, it's for him. Because in him, I've been given everything. church on. I, I long to have that kind of corporate zeal. Don't you? For, for the spirit to blow through. And I'm going to read a prayer here at the end. And it's from a book called The Valley of Vision. And it's a new year prayer. And it's, uh, it's about hoisting your sail. The idea that we would simply hoist the sail of our church by surrendering our whole lives reorienting, maybe for some of you orienting for the first time your whole life around the beauty of who Christ is, that we would simply hoist our sails so that the wind of the Spirit might take us where He sees fit. Our whole church, our whole lives, in every facet, in every fiber of who we are. Why? Because we know the end. We know the end is this, that the knowledge the glory of the Lord will cover the whole earth as the waters cover the seas. I want that to start in my life. That his knowledge and his glory and his beauty would cover my whole life. So let me pray for us. And like I said, I'm going to read this prayer. Just bow your heads. and Oh, love beyond compare. You are good when you give and when you take away. When the sun shines upon me and when the night gathers over me. You have loved me before the foundation of the world and in love did redeem my soul. And you love me still in spite of my hard heart, ingratitude and distrust. Your goodness has been with me another year, leading me through a twisting wilderness, in retreat helping me to advance. 
when beaten back, making sure headway. So I launch, we launch as the Parks Church upon the unknown waters of this year with you, O Father, as our harbor, with you, O Son, at the helm, with you, O Holy Spirit, filling our sails. Your goodness will be with us in the year ahead. So we hoist our sail and draw upon anchor with you as the blessed pilot of our future as of our past. I bless you that you have veiled our eyes to the waters ahead. If you have appointed storms of tribulation, you will be with us. If, you, if, you, if we have to pass through tempests of persecution and temptation, we shall not drown. If we are to die, we shall see your face the sooner. If a painful end is to be our lot, grant us grace that our faith fail us not. If we are to be cast aside from the service we love, we can make no stipulation. Only glorify yourself in us, whether in comfort or trial, as a chosen vessel ready always for your use. Father, that is our prayer as we posture and position ourselves at the beginning of this year, that we might see and desire and know your beauty like never before. That it is the means, it is the fuel, it is the goal, it is the sum total of everything we desire. Realign our loves, realign our lives, reorient all that we are around you. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and end, the perfecter of our faith. Lord, I thank you for this church. Hold her. Keep her in your hands. And Holy Spirit, blow through us with the winds of your power and your grace like never before. And take us to the waters you see fit. For your glory, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.